My name is Ben Weaver. Among other health concerns, my doctor wanted to investigate uh, some rapid weight loss that I was experiencing. The doctor had ordered to set me up, scheduled me for a CT scan uh, because of the weight loss issue. I wanted to see what could be behind uh, the extreme or rapid weight loss, but he said there's a problem. Uh, there is a mass on your pancreas. And uh, he asked me if I knew much about problems with the pancreas. I said, I know that it's always pretty bad. I did have cancer of the pancreas, uh, and it was stage four. My thoughts and emotions are really all over the place. The fear was certainly of the unknown, of where is this path going to end, how is it going to play out, Will there be a lot of pain and suffering along this journey? But when fear comes, there's the wide range of responses to it. There can be panic, freezing up, there can be hysteria. Fear can, can also can be to despair, to lose hope. And I feel guilty like that about that sometimes, of not being more confident. You know, the Christians not supposed to be afraid of death. I want to welcome all of you that are watching online here at the Hills, especially Ben, if you're watching. Ben had uh, another chemo treatment on Friday, and that usually wipes him out for a few days. I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Jesus has fed the multitudes. He has sent his disciples across a lake in a boat, and he's gone up a hill to pray. And then he has decided to join them in a most unique way. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. We weren't created for bondage. That appeared when the wisdom of man trumped Trust in God. And the first negative human emotion mentioned in the Bible is fear. And the man and woman who had lived up to this point never even understanding fear. Now were paralyzed by it. 
because something had happened with their relationship with God. And fear, since that day, is so pervasive, we cannot imagine life any other way. Fear is such a way of life that we don't even recognize we're in bondage. In fact, we think people that tell us not to be afraid have a problem. I'm reminded of the story of the trumpeter Louis Armstrong who grew up in poverty in rural Louisiana. He lived in a shanty with his aunt Hattie Mae. They had no electricity, no running water. And one of his jobs as a boy was to go down to the swamp every morning and bring back a bucket of water. And as he goes and puts his bucket in the swamp water, the head of an alligator appears and scares him. He drops the bucket and runs back to the shanty where he is chided by his aunt who tells him to go back, get that bucket and bring her some water. And she says, now you just remember, boy, that gator is as scared of you as you are of him. And he said, Aunt Hattie Mae, if that gator is as scared of me as I am of him, that water ain't fit to drink. <laughs> the devil works overtime to produce bogus fears. And we're so used to fear. They don't seem bogus. But what if they are? What if terror was actually the error? Because the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1, God did not give us a spirit that makes us afraid. But a spirit of power and love and self-control. So there are two spirits. There are two voices that we listen to. And we process everything in life through them. Either the voice of faith or the voice of fear. And it's easy to recognize the voice of fear. Because it always begins with the same two words. What if? So we're in this series alive and free, suggesting that Jesus didn't just purchase our salvation through his death and resurrection, but he purchased our liberty. We were dead in sin. He called us out of the grave and gave us salvation, but he's also calling us out of our grave clothes so that we can fully enjoy our salvation. And so if you're living in bondage, I want to be very clear, you are not forfeiting your salvation. That is a gift from Christ. And you can live the rest of your life in bondage to shame or bitterness or greed or anger or fear. And it will not cost you your salvation, but it will cost you the joy and the peace and the impact that God wants your salvation to bring. And in particular, bondage to fear is going to exchange the enjoyment of our salvation for the confinement of worry about later. Because fear traffics in later. And it comes at a price 
There's been empirical research that people who worry and fear pay a price emotionally. They pay a price relationally. They even pay a price physically. So there's a professor at Eastern Connecticut State University named Mike Adams who actually did research on the health impact of grandparents on their grandkids in college. And they found grandmothers are 10 times more likely to die right before their grandchild's midterm exam. Because they worry about it so much. They're 19 more t- times more likely to die before final exam. And if their grandchild is flunking in school, they're 50 times more likely to die. This is the power of fear. And it leads to the inevitable conclusion. If you have grandkids, do not let them go to college. (laughs) It will kill you. Because the spirit of fear prophesies about what the future might do to you. What if? We could fill the page with one line after another that starts with what if? What if the economy goes bad and I lose my job? What if we never get a large enough savings to retire? What if that X-ray shows that that mass is malignant. What if I never get married? What if we never have children? What if our children never straighten up? What if? And fear is running mentally after what if. And you never get to where you're running because what if is in tomorrow. And you'll never be free from fear by trying to give orders to tomorrow. Because tomorrow does not take orders from you. Tomorrow will never recognize you as its master. But tomorrow does have a master. And the real issue that these two voices are battling over is, can we trust God with our future? We fear whatever it is that we doubt God could handle tomorrow. Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? You see, Bondage needs a smaller faith. Greater faith is a threat to bondage. What you worry about the most is revealing that part of your life where you trust God the least. And what you need to understand is that your circumstances aren't producing the fear. It's your interpretation of the circumstances that are. Because someone else can have the exact same set of circumstances facing them tomorrow and respond differently because they're listening to a different voice. Twelve spies went and saw the exact same land with the exact same enemies in the land. 
And ten came back afraid and said, we can't possess that land. And two came back and said, we most certainly can take that land because God is with us. The entire Israelite army saw the same man David saw. They were paralyzed by fear. And David said, why are we letting an uncircumcised Philistine curse the living God? So it's not the circumstances. It's the way you're looking at those circumstances that's producing the fear. Because fear is indicating you have little faith in God's faithfulness in that part of tomorrow. But what if? What if there was a voice louder than the voice of what if? The voice of faith. The voice that says, so what? All through the Bible, we're told not to fear. It's the most frequent command in the Bible. There's got to be a reason. 365 times the Bible says, don't be afraid. Which just reveals how pervasive the bondage of fear is. Is But that same Bible reveals a God that in page after page, story after story, word after word, promise after promise, is giving us a track record to reflect on. That gives us a good reason to decide, I'm not going to what if my way through the rest of my life. See, the question the Bible is wanting us to ask is, has God done enough in the past to convince us to trust Him with the future? That's one reason why every week here at our church we take some bread and we take a cup and we reflect on the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and all that God has done to bring about our salvation In the Gospels, these disciples are constantly afraid. But in Acts, they are filled with courage and boldness by the kind of threats that used to fill them with fear. What's changed? I will tell you, it makes a whole lot more sense not to be afraid when the guy that's telling you that just came out of a grave. Resurrection will profoundly reinterpret life, won't it? What? Happened, trumped what ifing. And these men that used to say what if started saying so what? Because they served a Lord that reigned over anything threatened to pull them under. Yes, they have been in some storms, but they serve a God who walks on water. And that will reinterpret the way you look at a storm. And God didn't take them out of fearful situations. But he took the fear in them out. In those situations. So that they could walk in freedom. Because if bondage needs a smaller faith, what freedom needs is a bigger fear. It's ironic, but you conquer fear by getting a bigger and better fear. The fear 
of God. And to fear God is to acknowledge who He is and what His character is like and what He has done and who He has shown Himself to be. And you let that knowledge become the lens through which you're going to interpret and navigate the rest of your life. And if you let anything else be that lens and that compass, you have set yourself up for bondage to fear. Because tomorrow can threaten any other lens. Tomorrow can take away your job. Tomorrow can threaten your health. Tomorrow you can lose your family. Tomorrow your memory can start to leave. And so if you have found your security and your identity in anything that tomorrow can threaten... You will live today in fear. Because false security brings perpetual insecurity. Fear is just going to magnify circumstances. But faith is going to magnify God. And people of faith, it's not so much that they remove fear, they redirect fear. Because the fear of God is the beginning of real wisdom. Look at this verse from Psalm 112. How joyful are those who fear the Lord. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They're not afraid of God. They are full of joy at the thought that the God who is master of tomorrow cares for them. Because this God is full of love for them. The places where we fear are the places where we still don't know the love of God. Because the Bible says where God's love is, there is no fear. Because God's perfect love drives out fear. Now, none of us understand God's perfect love perfectly. None of us can appreciate God's love completely. And so none of us until Jesus comes back, are going to eliminate fear completely. So I'm not going to stand here today and tell you never to be afraid again. What I'm going to ask is when the voice of fear sounds, that you let another voice be louder. You will never be in control of tomorrow. But you can control fear instead of letting fear control you. When you have centered your life in the one that cares for you. 
and is in control of everything. So listen to another word, a better word from my brother Ben. The unknowns are there. And I, and I, and I do think that the reason why God emphasizes not to be afraid is, is because uh, he knew that we would have a tendency to do that very thing. But he's there to restore the faith. Where else shall we turn? I mean, when you look at all the alternatives of places to turn to in the midst of fear, uh, the only viable, true place to turn is toward God. He's the only one that's got any answer, especially the one that's offering any hope. So press into Him, lean into Him, run to Him. If you just want to look at the facts that man knows pancreatic cancer stage 4, if you look statistically, uh, the survival rate is the longevity of life. It's not very long. The facts that man knows is not the, t- the total truth. But the absolute full truth is still reigning with God. And it's His knowledge. It's not too big for Him. He's not surprised by it. We've just uh, caught up with what He already knew was going on inside of me. And, and now we can appeal to Him. Uh, to take it away, to use medicine, uh, to whatever he, he wants at his disposal. When I think of the family, I do want them not to see me as being fearful uh, through this time. But the reality is they might see it. I'd like to be a person of courage that they can witness to. That I didn't despair. That I did not give up through prayer. And dependence on God. We'll we'll wait for Him. We'll wait for Him to to act or to allow in His sovereign will whatever He He wants. Um, we'll just we'll just trust Him to to have the last say. There's a map in the British Museum of Natural History. It was drawn in 1525 of this landmass we call North America, and it was very unknown. And so the cartographer around the edges of the map wrote phrases like, here be dragons, here be terrors, here be monsters. But that map came into the possession of an explorer named John Franklin in the 1800s, and he crossed those words out, and he just wrote, here be God. Because as you face the unknown, there's one thing we do know. God is already present in tomorrow. And so, like David, we can say, when I am afraid, I will trust you. And I just want to say, if you struggle with fear, Psalm 56 needs to be one of your favorite reads. Because it gives us some fear busters. And the first is that we need to admit our fear to ourselves and God. David didn't say, if I am afraid. He said, when I am afraid. Because there's nowhere you can go to escape the voice of fear. And so free people are honest people. Go ahead and admit your fear to God. He already knows. So bring it out into the light so that he can pour truth on it. 
Bring that fear out and ask him to reveal the lie behind it. Lord, I am afraid of being a generous person. I'm afraid I won't have enough for myself. But, but the truth is you take care of lilies and sparrows and you promise to take care of me. And Lord, I'm afraid if I don't compromise myself sexually, I'll be lonely. But the truth is you promise to be with me. And I'm afraid if I witness to my coworker, I'll mess up. But you said, take a step of faith and courage, and my Holy Spirit will give you words to say. Let God shed a better word on your fear. Bring the presence of fear into the presence of God and listen. And like David, you'll say, God, I praise his word. I praise the Lord for his word. I trust in God. I will not be afraid. What can people do to me? So the next thing you do is you submit your fears to word and worship. I praise you, Lord, for your word. I praise you, Lord, for who you are. And when we magnify the Lord, we don't make God bigger, but we make our experience of God bigger. One of my mentors and spiritual heroes since I came to this church was Lynn Lovell. And he shared the story of when he went to the doctor and got the diagnosis he did not expect of cancer. And it made him afraid. It brought tears. And he's on the way home to tell his wife and he feels that spirit of fear coming on. And so he puts in worship music. He has one hand on the wheel. He has one hand in the air. And he just begins to praise the God who will be the lens for his life. And he says by the time he got home, a transcendent experience of peace and calm conquered the spirit of fear. Because what word and worship will do is put God between you and your fears instead of letting your fears come between you and God. And you take the cup and you take the bread and you read the word and you praise his name. And what these things do is they remind you of all that God has already dealt with on your behalf. And it gives you leverage over what you're dealing with tomorrow. And so David closes, God, I must keep my promises to you. I will give you my offerings to thank you because you've saved me from death. You've kept me from being defeated. So I will walk with God in light among the living. Notice the verbs. I will thank. I will give. I will offer. I will walk. You commit to doing what someone who trusts God would do. Because over and over when the Bible says fear not, it always after that says, now go do something. Don't be afraid, but take a risky step in the direction of obedience. You know, faith is like snow skiing. You ever been on top of a mountain? And fear sets in. And everything in you says, lean back. When in fact, you need to do the counterintuitive thing. You need to lean forward. You need to lean into the mountain. That's where the safety and the thrill and the adventure is. And the voice of faith says, lean into tomorrow with God. Don't worry about tomorrow, but look around, see what God's doing today, and join Him as we lean into tomorrow.
and your bravery can actually become a witness that will help someone else escape slavery. So we have these two awesome missionaries in North Africa, Brian and Libby. And there's this tree in the village where they live that was unhealthy and leaning over. And one morning the village awoke and the tree was upright and flourishing and healthy. And a local witch doctor took total credit and said his power and dark magic made it so the tree was a holy tree to be feared just as his magic was to be feared. And people did. They wouldn't get close to the tree. But there was this one young disciple that Libby said was extraordinarily ordinary. But as he and his peers walk through the village one day and they see the tree, he stops and says something no one had even thought of thinking. I think I'm going to climb that tree. And his friends tried to talk him out of it, but he did. He climbed the tree. He sat in the top of the tree for a moment on the branches. The whole village gathered around him thinking any moment he's just going to fall over dead for tempting the dark powers. And then he climbed down. And he gave an impromptu devotional to the whole village about how the Lord Jesus is Lord over all the trees. Because he's Lord over all creation. Because what happens when you let the voice of God trump the voice of fear? You'll find other people wanting to listen to your voice. I want us to pray. And I'm going to tell you up front, these next two moments will not be easy. Bow your heads. I want you first to just identify and confess to God your biggest fear. Now I want you to ask God to expose the lie behind that fear. And to bring to you a word of truth that can help set you free from that fear. And now here comes the hardest thing. What would you do if you were free from that fear? Ask God to give you the courage to do what someone that trusts God would do. Oh God, we pray in the name of the one that left the grave. The one who has given us reason to no longer be intimidated. And in his name, we ask for the courage to walk in freedom.
Amen. Please stand. We've got prayer teams downstairs and upstairs. I want you to do the next right thing. Whatever it means for you to battle fear, to come and talk about a sin, to come and talk about a concern, to come and confess Jesus. Because for some here today, the next right thing is to become a Christian. So please come. Because you are no longer a slave to fear.